I don't care who's first or who last, but I know that y'all just better rock this at the drop of a dime, baby. This is a Joe Run Welcome to the Football Cypher here on the Football Game Plan Podcast Network. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and you can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. I'm joined with my fellow analysts, Chris James, Gene Clemens, Saran Davenport, and Brandon Howard. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CJFlorida9, Gene at Gene Clemens, Teron at T Davenport underscore NFL, and Brandon at B Howard underscore 81. Make sure to subscribe to the Football Game Plan Podcast on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. That's where you can find all of our many different shows. You can also find them archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And finally, don't forget to check out and subscribe to the Football Game Plan Network on YouTube, located at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. And if you're not familiar with what a rap cipher is, it's a crowd that forms in freestyle raps as they pass the mic around, but it's going to be the same thing here, except there won't be any rapping going on. We'll just pass the mic around and keep the football takes flowing. We're kicking off our NFL team previews in the cypher. And in this episode, we take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles and some of the biggest questions heading into the 2017 season for Philadelphia. And Teron, you cover the Eagles on a daily basis, so you kick this one off. Yeah, you know, mine is, is obviously going to evolve around the quarterback. And, and my question is this, because I, I saw some uh, – analyst raised this this uh this idea and um why on earth would anybody call Carson Wentz a dual threat that's a that's a good question um you know he he does have the ability to, to take off and run when things break down uh but the difference in my opinion um between a true dual threat quarterback and a guy that just has the ability to kind of run a little bit um is the ability to create, you know, if, if you can create something and make a play with your legs, um, you know, on a routine basis, and, and you can obviously make a play with your arm from the quarterback position, then you are a true dual threat quarterback. Um, I don't see that in Carson Wentz. You know, I see a guy that, you know, if there is a rushing lane available, he might take off and get what's available to him, but he's not going to break you down and get extra yardage or, um, you know, he's not going to, uh, extend the run by any means. So uh, that's why, in my opinion, he is absolutely not a dual-threat quarterback. This is an interesting question. I'm glad you posed it because he's being analytically stereotyped because he can run fast in a straight line on a track, but he does not have the vision to prove out to be a dual-threat quarterback. Exactly. The whole thing about dual-threat is that you're a threat to do both things. To me, he is virtually no threat to really break off a run unless the C parted and left it open for him to do. Also, being able to stress the defense by getting on the edge and, like Brandon said, making a play downfield, which the unfortunate part of his game, and I will say this, I do like the young man. I I feel like he's an extremely hard worker, and that does go a long way to being successful. But he's got to learn how to hit a a doggone deep out or corner out. Right. At some point. Um, so 
the answer for me on dual threat is no. Yeah, I don't think he's a dual threat, just like I don't think Blake Bortles is a dual threat. Although I do think of Bortles and Wentz as quarterbacks that have some athleticism that can that can make something happen if stuff break down, like you guys already mentioned. So I don't think he's a true dual threat. So if they run that zone read, no one's fearing Carson Wentz coming out that end, that end will still crash down or maybe smack him in, in, the, in the pocket. I don't think he has that quote-unquote threat. Now, if he gets outside and has to take off and run, yeah, he'll lower his shoulder and he'll pick up some yards. He'll, you know, pick up a touchdown. He'll pick up a cheap 20 yards, something like that. But as far as being a true threat, where you really have to worry about him taking off and running, I don't think he ran for over 500 yards a season at North Dakota State. So, now nah, he's not a true dual threat. I mean, well, he couldn't stay healthy at North Dakota State. So, I mean, he definitely wasn't running for anything. Um, here's, the, here's the problem. And I think this is, this is the issue we have. A threat is a person or a thing likely to cause damage. It's likely to cause damage. Like, if I, if I crash down, it's likely you're going to run for 30 yards plus, you know, and so I'm not going to crash down. You don't have that with, with Carson Wentz. Um, nobody is afraid to get out of their rush lanes against Carson Wentz because he's not a threat. Um, having an ability to do something doesn't mean that you do it or that you have or that you do it effectively. Um, there are a lot of quarterbacks who could run. There are a lot of quarterbacks who are fast. There are a lot of wide receivers who run four twos and are an effective threat as a deep as a deep ball. Jared Haywood Bay. And I always look at I always look at the idea of a dual threat and say you have to have a first threat. And what's Carson Wentz's first threat? I mean, we just talked about it. He, he doesn't, he doesn't consi consistently kill you down the field, which means you don't have to turn your back to him, which means that there's no opportunity for him to run. There have only been a handful of legitimate dual-threat quarterbacks to ever come into the league, and there are a lot of people being painted with a brush that they just, they just clearly don't, they don't fit, and I think that's, you know, that's Carson Wentz's um, cross the bear. Yeah, and you know the thing is, if you look at a lot of a lot of his runs where he gained ten yards or fifteen yards, I mean, they were against man defense. You know what happens, man defense, when the receivers run down the field, the the DBs have their back to you. It's you find a rushing lane. Hey, after you get to that second level, I mean, you're pretty much free to to run for a long time. I mean, Byron Marshall could probably pick up. Uh, 10 yards against a lot of uh, single, you know, man, man defense. But the other thing that I will say is they'll, they'll point to that, that play that he made against the Ravens where he, he put a little move on the linebacker and, and dove into the end zone. And they'll also point to the, I think it was the Giants, where he ducked up underneath the defender and he ran for about seven or eight yards and say, oh, these are our reasons why he is a guy that is a dual threat. But like you mentioned, He's not someone that I would be concerned about to to break off big yards consistently third and 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 twelve and and you know he's able to to get outside the pocket and run to get that first down step out of bounds after thirteen yards deflate the defense yeah Tom Brady made some people miss too and like once <laughs> the, he's now he's a dual threat too like get the hell out of here it's ridiculous yeah Ain't no way no way in the world um you know and and my question uh here is um what is it that is going to prohibit the um, the Eagles from making the playoffs this season? Great question. Um, it's just the newness to the team. You have 
now a second-year starting quarterback, a second-year head coach, uh, a lot of new pieces. I think it's going to take them a little bit to get the ball rolling because they do have talent, uh, especially on that defensive line. They might have the best defensive line in the NFL once everything's said and done, especially from a talent standpoint. So they have the pieces. It's just all of it is so new where by the time they get things rolling, Nine and seven likely is the minimum to even get a wild card. And I, I doubt that's even a wild card record this year. So uh, that's their hindrance. I, I think the offense will be the reason why they don't make the playoffs, although they can. If you look at this team last year, what was their calling card? Defense, special teams. Those who won them a lot of games. I mean, you look at the opportunities they gave that offense uh, as far as creating turnovers or working with the half field and the offense couldn't punch the ball in. I mean, if the offense can be, you know, average, they can be successful. And I think a lot of it has to do with, one, the play calling, uh, two, utilizing personnel. There were times when they chose not to run the ball, when they clearly can run the ball against anybody, uh, whether that's that was Ryan Matthews or Darren Sproles. Uh, it doesn't matter. They can run the ball. So now you take away Matthews, you add in Sproles, you add in Pumphrey, Smallwood, uh, Blunt. All those guys can run the ball. If they can just – if they don't uh, – I think what happened last year, they wanted to make Carson Wentz be Randall Cunningham or Ron Jaworski. If they allow Carson Wentz to be Carson Wentz and not try to make him be Dan Marino and just run the ball, let him operate off play action, put him on a pitch count, I think they have the defense and special teams definitely to make the playoffs. I, I think what will keep the Eagles from making the playoffs simply is excuses. Um, instead of looking themselves in the mirror and saying, hey, we don't have a quarterback who who we can put everything on and have him lead us to the promised land yet. Um, we may not ever have that in him. He may just be Alex Smith. Um, but they won't do that. They'll make excuses. Last year, the excuses were um, our right tackles out or – um, our wide receivers are dropping balls and, you know, it, it, it was always an excuse and that's excuses will always kill a team. Excuses will always be the reason why teams lose. And I think that'll be a number one reason why the Eagles um, will lose and not make the playoffs because they will constantly make excuses for things that they could fix if they just stop making excuses. Um, kind of very similar to what the Dolphins did last year. They stopped making excuses for Ryan Tannehill and just said, you know what? You're you're not that good. <laughs> Let's just run the ball. <laughs> and they had a lot of success. On the outside, it looks like that's what Philadelphia is preparing to do because I think that they, they've loaded up a nice stable of running backs. We'll see if that's what happens. Yeah, if I had to say one thing, it would it would be they're not going to commit to running the football and and establishing the run. I saw Doug Peterson get away from it too many times, where he didn't give his running back a, a chance to really get into that groove. And this is something I talked to Wendell Smallwood about uh, after the Steelers game. He had 17 carries, 79 yards, a touchdown. But there were two straight drives where he really got to get into his groove against the uh, the Steelers, and he said that that was something that he didn't really get to do for for uh, up to that point. I mean, that was only, I think, like week five, I think it was, or week three, I, I think it was. But he, he didn't really get that opportunity. And you look at with, with Matthews and with Sproles, they, these guys, like it was always you know, you're in and out of full series. 
And even in that series, you know, Carson is throwing the, the ball consistently. I mean, look, he, he, he was second. I, I think it was uh, just short of, of Andrew Luck's record for pass attempts. So it shows you what they were trying to do last year. So for me, you know, being able to put those, those games away late in, in the game, you know, protect that lead. That's something that they need to work on and, and need to make sure that they're able to do with LeGarrette Blunt. And I just I, I don't think that they're going to commit to doing that. Yeah, uh, you I believe that uh, TD, you you hit the nail on the head. And uh, the problem, in my opinion, is seeing Carson Wentz through rose colored lenses at this point. Uh, I don't think that they see a single flaw in the young man and they believe that they can place the ball in his hands and he can win them games at this point in his career. And he's simply not there yet. Um, will he get there? That remains to be seen. He has ability, but he may not ever be that guy. And I think that they're trying to put too much on his plate early in his career. And I think that what's, is going to end up happening is he's going to end up having to follow that Tannehill model and they're going to have to cut down on how much they're giving him, uh, what they're giving him at the line of scrimmage, the things that he can kind of switch to and call at the line of scrimmage and simplify and just allow him to go out there and play football. Um, and, and right now I think they're, they're doing a little bit too much with the quarterback and that could be his demise in the end. And certainly um, the veterans, you know, on that team, I, in the end, I, I'm going to feel for them because they're putting all their chips uh, on this young quarterback to kind of take them to the playoffs. And I don't see that happening with this current coaching staff, uh, the way that they're kind of handling Carson Wentz. Which definitely leads me into my question, which is, you know, we, we heard so many things about what Wentz didn't have and those things are all improved this year. So will Carson Wentz take that next step in year two? The only way he can take that next step in year two is if they go back to what made them fall in love with Carson Wentz in the first place. And when you look back at North Dakota State, what they did well, they ran the football, Wentz operated off play action. He threw those slants, those screens, those crossing routes, those comebacks. He threw all of those short passes real well coming off play action. They minimized his ability to throw. They didn't have to throw it 60-plus times a game or 40-plus times a game. He only threw 358 in that, that first championship game uh, or first championship run they had he had as a junior. I um, mean, then, you know, obviously his senior year he's been hurt. But I think that's what you're going to get. You can't try to make him a passer because that's not his his skill set. To me, and, and this is why I compared him to uh, Matt Castle, I think Matt Castle was the same way. Very good athlete, very good on those – crossers and comebacks and curls and things like that good enough athlete to to make something happen on the ground but i think if you know people get uh how how can i put it a, a coach like doug peterson reminds me a lot of sean payton in this regard he's trying to live vicariously through his young prospect mm. just like payton is trying to live through drew Brees and throw the football 75 times a game even though you have tremendous depth in the backfield right so Peterson may see himself in Carson Wentz and want to make Carson Wentz be one of the best quarterbacks in the game, really putting him outside of his skill set. I think if they can put him on that Tannehill plan or that Romo in 2014 plan with the offensive line they have, the tight ends, the running backs, this team can run their way to the top of the division and play action their way, you know, to the Super Bowl. So, because, again, their defense and special teams, I think, will be arguably one of the best in the league. So 
they have to make Carson Wentz not be, you know, Ron Jaworski or, or Dan Fouts. Just let him run the ball, put him on that pitch count, and let them operate off play action. And then you can see, okay, he made progressions in year two. But just from him as a passer, it will never happen because that's not his game. I, I agree with everything Emory said. I'll, 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 I'll add to, to it this. Um, Carson Wentz threw the ball in, in his one lone season at North Dakota State where he was the starter for a full season. Um, he, he threw the ball an average of 22 times a game. Um, that is, in my opinion, out of the Alex Smith playbook, this coaching staff should be very familiar with, with the Carson Wentz because they've essentially been working with Carson Wentz for years in Alex Smith. And if they look at what Alex Smith does and they have Carson Wentz watch what Alex Smith does, then that's who he should model his game after. The problem is, is that modeling your game after Alex Smith, is that really taking it to the next level? Or is that just being better than you were last year? Um, and so I think he can be better than he was last year. I don't think that takes him it to the next level, which to me would be, can he move into top 20 quarterback status? Well, Gene, it's interesting you mentioned Alex Smith because that's exactly the, the quarterback that I compared Wentz to uh, coming out. When, when he came out a couple years ago. So that's – I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, the the thing is, you look at that 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 Bucks game, you know, one of the things that they did with Carson was – and I'm talking about the first preseason game, his first live NFL action. They made it a point to get him on the move and, and allow him to boot and work the play action, and that worked in his favor. Now, now this year – and and one of the things I wanted to talk to him about was, you know, being able to freelance more. I, I didn't get to ask the question because some fool wanted to ask him about the seafood in, in North Dakota. But, you know, that's a whole different <laughs> different thing. Uh, but I, I think for him, taking the next step is not necessarily passing for 4,500 yards or 5,000 yards. For him, taking that next step is believing what he's seeing when he sees his guys open. For him, taking that next step is not – you know, leading defenders into the passing lane. And that's something I, I saw happen uh, a few times during during minicamp, you know, staring down Alshon Jeffrey. He, he has to make sure that he doesn't get so infatuated with having a guy like Alshon it, that he doesn't lock in on him because then you're going to take the linebacker right into the passing lane where you're throwing curls or slants or, or whatever. So he can't do that. That That's how he could take the next step. And when you talk to this coaching staff about him taking that next step, they always talk about situational football. And when they say that, I always come right back. Okay, so what are you going to do to get this guy to improve on third downs? You know, and, and their immediate thing is, oh, well, we have to stop getting penalties and getting in third and long situations. You know what? Penalties are going to happen. So – you have to figure out a way for him to take that next step and be more effective on third down. So we'll see what happens. I, I think he'll take the next step, but, you know, that's all relative. I don't think that means he's going to become that guy that's going to instantly make everybody around him better. And that's not to say he's not going to be a good quarterback. I don't want to give people the, the wrong the wrong message. I'm just saying that he's not going to be top ten. I, I certainly agree with, with all of that. Uh, Teron. And uh, also, um, you know, one of the bigger things, I mean, you know, and also like Chris was saying, he's got to start connecting on that deep ball. I mean, it, 
I don't know if I've seen a starting quarterback who throws a deep ball so flat um, that he just he's not giving anyone time to run underneath the football. And, um, you know, just got to put a little bit more arc on it. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill, he had a similar issue uh, on the on the deep ball when he first arrived in in Miami. Um, And he's gotten better over time uh, with it. You know, is he the greatest deep ball thrower in the world? Absolutely not. But he's improved. And I think that that's something that Carson Wentz has to get better at. Um, Also, um, not seeing ghosts when you're in the pocket. Uh, I believe there's times where he takes off entirely too soon. Um, when there's room for him to step up in the pocket and make a play. Um, and also, um, there's certain quarterbacks I don't mind doing that because when they do take off, they can make something happen. Uh, Carson Wentz is not the guy I really want to see running down the field with the football. So, um, you know, that that's something that I would like to see him improve upon as well. But, um, you know, I'm not saying that Carson Wentz can, can't be a good quarterback in the NFL. There is room for him to be a good quarterback, and uh, we need more of them in the NFL. But – he's not the savior that a lot of people think that he is at this point in his career. Man, do not mention Ryan Tannehill throwing a deep ball around Mike Wallace. He still wants to fight him. Yo, he he <laughs> wants to, bruh, he wants to shoot the fade. Like. <laughs> yo, he ended Mike Wallace's career, dude. Like, Mike Wallace is like, yo, I actually was good before I got here. What happened? They had people thinking – he had people thinking Mike Wallace was washed, bro. Like, that's how bad that was. Yeah. Shout out to old Perry Walker High School, too, in New Orleans. So, um, what? <laughs> my- so to kind of circle it off – oh, sorry, Embry. Sorry, go ahead. But to circle it off with the Carson Wentz comment, the reason I asked the question was because happiness or whatever, it's all a function of expectation. And so the expectation has been put out there that Carson Wentz needed more weapons. And now Carson Wentz – Got some weapons that are an upgrade. I mean, Alshon Jeffries is an upgrade. That just puts more pressure on the young man. When I think they just need to retract more. There's nothing wrong with a quarterback of his stature, a big, strong kid who can throw the short route well and go over the top once in a while, to have that Ben Roethlisberger from 05 plan or 04. Run the ball. Run the ball consistently. Have him play action. Throw some check downs. Throw the deep ball timely. There's nothing wrong with that. But unfortunately, when you bring in an Alshon Jeffrey and you move uh, Jordan Matthews into the slot and even having Torrey Smith, who let's not get into it any further than just saying having Torrey Smith on a roster, <laughs> people are going to expect. I'm done. To put I'm done. <laughs> you know, that, wow. So the expectation is going to be bad. I think the next step in him making the next step in year two is improving on the little nuanced things at quarterback that he suffered with. Exactly. So that was the thing. Also throwing those deep routes, that's another thing. And play to your strengths. To me, there's nothing wrong with taking the win on first and, and 10 instead of just throwing the ball erratically and making it second and 10. Go get three yards. It's fine. I mean, listen, you talk about hitting the check downs. I, I don't think you can get worse than 6.2 yards in attempt last year. I think, I think that's <laughs> – that's quintessential hitting the checkdowns. But um, my my question is, you mentioned it, Chris. How much better do you really think they have gotten at wide receiver? Because that was a talk all last season from week I – mean, I'm not sorry, not all last season. After week three, all of a sudden, they don't have weapons. So how much better do you think they've really gotten at receiver? I don't think they've 
I don't think they've improved that much, but I definitely think they improved. Um, anytime you can get Dorio Green Beckham off your receiving staff, you've improved um, your your lot in life. I've never seen a more athletically gifted, terrible wide receiver. Um, you know, but but I think that they 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 got better. But I don't think that they they upgraded to some rare elite wide receiving core. I think they just they just they did all right. Um, their receiving core is not better than um, the Giants' receiving core. Their receiving core is not better than Dallas's receiving core. Their receiving core is probably on par with Washington's receiving core. And so, is that really you know? a drastic upgrade no i think uh adding alshon jeffrey will help the receiving core because he is a guy that even when he's covered you could throw to so he gives you that 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 person on the outside that can make plays but i mean i still think that he had a legit crew last last year you know i obviously everyone's going to point to the drops and say hey you know, these guys drop the football, but a part of taking that next step is to throw more catchable passes. There were situations where, you know, not all of the drops were because the guys just outright dropped it. There were times where it was behind them when they're running a slant. There were times where it was high when they're running a slant and things like that. But I think they upgraded just by, you know, adding Alshon Jeffrey. I was just going there, Teron, and uh, yeah, anytime you – you add Alshon uh, to the roster. He's a guy that can kind of just go up and get it. Um, you know, he definitely improves your roster. I remember uh, Adam Gase, uh, he worked with uh, Alshon in Chicago. And he said that uh, in his coaching career, uh, Alshon is the only guy that he ever had where he would just call a play and say, just throw it up to Alshon. Um, he's the only guy that got the green light that way. So anytime you add a guy like that to your roster, definitely uh, bodes well uh, for your wide receiver corps. But I will add this one little caveat here. I just, when it comes to Carson Wentz, he's going to have to take prudent risk. He's not, he, he shouldn't just throw it up there to Ashton. He can't fall in love with just throwing it up there to a guy like that, just because he can high point the football and find it. Um, he's, going to have to be a good decision maker and um it's going to be up to the eagles coaching staff to uh put Wentz in a position to uh, to make better decisions with the ball this year so we'll we'll see what happens i think they got quite a bit better and just hear me out on this from two perspectives the things that carson Wentz struggled with connecting with his receivers last year they got guys that alleviate some of those struggles so having missed time throws Jeffrey is one of the best receivers in the NFL with bringing in horrible throws. Just think about the quarterbacks he's played with in his past, and he's been able to bail those guys out. But the other portion of it is look at the differences. Doriel Greenbeckham, for some reason, after his sophomore year at Missouri, his second year, just I don't know what happened to the young man after that. So he moves out. Alshon Jeffrey moves in. That's a clear win. Nelson Aguilar has come so far in his own personal situation that I think he's going to show people why he was a first-round pick Good point. this season. Good point. You can also look at a guy like Jordan Matthews. He's consistently getting better and better every year, and they brought in some young guys that do have talent in Sheldon Gibson, and Matt Collins is not a bad little F receiver. So 
I think they got a lot better from the perspective that everyone who was on the roster has improved themselves mentally and the guys they brought in, except for one guy whose name I'm not going to mention, improved the roster. Yeah, I think to put a bow on it, I think they got better because Alshon Jeffrey is a you, – you hit the nail on the head. Look at his quarterbacks, and that's dating back to South Carolina. Like, all of them were trash, you know. So, I think they got better with Alshon Jeffrey. I'm a big fan of Shelton Gibson. Um, I think he has the the game – he's a gamer, put it, put it that way. Like, he tracks the football really well. Um, he's able to, to have that late-minute, that last-minute acceleration to the football – to create that separation. So I like his game. Um, I think it's a dog, to, not to sound like what they, uh, on Harlem Nights, it's a damn shame what they did to that dog. You know, <laughs> we were talking about Nelson Aguilar, how they blamed the entire city's problems on this Yo. man. You know, it's messed <laughs> up. Homelessness, teachers being fired, everything is on Nelson. Everything man. is his fault. Man. man. So they got good tight ends. Uh, I'm a big fan of Trey Burton. I like Billy Brown and, you know, I'm yeah. going to be following what Teron says throughout the course of training camp to keep an eye on what's going on with Billy Brown and, mm-hmm. and Shelton Gibson. So they, they have gotten better. I mean, you also can't forget about a guy like Sproles in the passing game of Pumphrey. But yeah. th- there's a ton of talent on this team, man. So I, I do think they have gotten better at that position. And and keep in mind, too, just, just really quick about Nelson Aguilar, his only time playing wide receiver was at US, USC. Right. Um, he was – He's a running back from Tampa. He spent he spent his entire life as a running back from youth league all the way up through high school. First time he started catching passes as a receiver was at USC. Um, and so he he's still learning. Like I said earlier in in one of our earlier podcasts about on the Washington team, you can't just all of a sudden decide you're going to be a wide receiver and bam, you're a wide receiver. Um, you've got you've got four guys on this panel that play wide receiver. It, it's there's an it's an art form, you know, and and people too many times try to make it trivial. They try to make it seem like it's way it's much simpler than what it really is. Um, Aguilar's been working this summer with Redell Anthony down yeah. here in Tampa. Yeah. That's Yo, huge. Marvin, too. Yeah, yeah, it's really huge. I think it's really going to pay dividend for him. Anyway, I had a question because. And, and, and you're the, I'm glad you're here, TD. I'm glad you're the first person that gets a chance to ask, answer this question because it's really been bugging me. Last year when Lane Johnson was on the field, um, they were 5-0. They were and 0. Lane Johnson leaves. Um, they seem like they can't win a game. Was Lane Johnson really that good? Because the, every, every, everybody I hear from Philadelphia will say, well, we didn't have Lane Johnson for most of the season. Like was Lane Johnson really that big of a difference to 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 be the reason why you saw them lose so many games without him? Yeah, I, they were four and one, I believe it was before they was it four the, and one. Yeah, you had the Lions loss, uh, Ryan Matthews. Exactly, um, exactly. And and Carson Wentz threw an interception in, in that game. Should have thrown it to the post like Aguilar was running, but he threw it outside. But hey, you know he could do no wrong. Uh, I, I think I think Lane Johnson is important to this team, but I don't know that I would say he was the sole reason why they they lost games. It, it it was both sides. There was a stretch where they gave up twenty, I think twenty four or more points, um, consistently. I, I think it was like five out of seven games. So last time I checked, Lane Johnson is a right tackle, not right defensive end. So there's an issue there. But also, 
if you look at a lot of the interceptions that, that Carson threw, there's actually a tweet. I think I sent it in, in our group chat where it showed the pocket in a good seven of his 14 or 16 intercept, 14 interceptions that he had. And the pocket was clean every time. So I, I'm not going to say Lane Johnson had nothing to do with that team winning and, and being as good as they were because when he is in the game, they like to run the ball to the right side with, with he and, and Brandon Brooks. But at the same time, it, he's not the sole reason why they, they lost every game. So I'm going to say that is, is an excuse. And that's one that, you know, if, if Lane Johnson and Jason Peters could stay healthy, we won't be able to make that excuse or not make it because we're not making it. We won't be able to entertain that excuse this year. You will never uh, be able to tell me that a right tackle is the reason behind a team's shortcomings. Um, reason being, there's just too many ways uh, that you could scheme around that. There's too many things that you can do to uh, to you know mitigate or you know make sure that you can you know I guess. Uh, do well without your right tackle. And I, I just don't see why or how people even believe that that is a valid excuse as to, you know, what ended up happening uh, with, with the Eagles this year. Um, you know, Lane Johnson, very talented player. Um, but I just don't, I, I don't think that that's an excuse that they would allow for many players. I mean, if you go and you look at Cleveland last year, um, they, I, you, how many quarterbacks got taken out of the lineup that year or last year for the Cleveland Browns because they just couldn't maintain a block anywhere along the offensive line? Um, you know, you had quarterbacks coming in and out of the lineup with concussions left and right. Um, you know, so I, I just don't see how your right tackle goes out. And, you know, these are NFL coaches. There are certainly ways that you can kind of cover that up as far as your scheme is concerned. I was at a preseason game last year when they played the Bucks, and that was a body bag game. I've never seen more sacks given up once Joe Thomas was not on the field <laughs> than Cleveland's line gave up. Let's go ahead and ask ourselves what a right tackle really does for you or a left tackle or anyone on the line. I think I, I'm willing to say that a right tackle can actually be, for a right-handed quarterback, the least effective person on the line for you. Right. Not protecting your blind side, not being your center for exchange. And for those guards who actually take care of a lot of the stunts inside that really negatively affect you, your right tackle is the least involved guy that you have. It is what it is. It was a scapegoat situation. It was an excuse to be made. Is the line better with Lane Johnson? Yes, Lane Johnson is one of the better run blocking right tackles in the NFL. But that doesn't mean that the Eagles should just start losing games without Lane Johnson. Yeah, you know what's funny? I saw Gene tweet something out earlier, basically saying uh, Lane Johnson is the old miss of right tackles. When they, when he winning, he cheating, right? You know, so <laughs> so when, you, when you think about it, you know, this guy was on – maybe he was that good because he was on steroids, you know, so you never know. But to answer your question, I, I, I agree with Chris. And I've always said this, man, the most important part of an offensive line – I know, again, I'm always making O-line Twitter probably mad at me. But the best part of the offensive line is your guard, center guard. If you're strong right there, those two, any quarterback worth his salt will be able to evade or, or compensate for whatever's going on at left or right tackle because you can't deal with interior pressure because you can't step into the pocket. So if your guard, center guard is strong, you're going to be very good uh, as far as running the ball and also in pass protection. Now, 
And like Brandon said, you can compensate for a weak spot at, at right tackle. You attach a tight end. You roll his side. You, you change up the launch pass by you roll away, whatever. So it was a scapegoat, like Chris said. I just think that no one player is that good. So I'm always of the fact that you can have – no one player is going to be the detriment of my football team because I don't think no one player is that good in the game of football. It's not basketball or something like that or baseball. So there's ways. They just found a, a convenient excuse when they got tired of blaming Nelson Aguilar for everything that was going on. It's like, you know what? We don't have a right tackle. So I just think that we, we – I hope he stays out there for full 16 games and he better win NFL MVP, you know what I'm saying? So the way they're talking. It just, it just amazes me because you would believe the way they spoke about Lane Johnson, you would believe that he was like Orlando uh, Pace. Yeah. Like he like I mean, my goodness. First off, let's 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 start here because I this to me this is this is hilarious. They're making excuses for a guy who did not test positive once for performance enhancing drugs. He's done it twice. He, he a 10-game suspension is not your first time. That's not your first rodeo. I mean, he's he's tested positive twice, which means that at 20, what is he, 24 um, TD, 24, 25 years old? 25. Okay, so which means that at 25, his entire NFL career has been him cheating. His entire NFL career has been him as a cheater, and yet they're saying he's the, oh, he's the reason. If, if he's cheating and he's that good, why the hell is he not your left tackle? <laughs> if he's that good and he's cheating too, he should be your left tackle. But my other thing is that because he's a right tackle and Carson Wentz is a, is a right-handed quarterback, he sees what's coming. That, that can't be. It just can't be the reason that you use. But it goes back to my earlier point about the, the growth of, of Carson Wentz and why the um, Eagles won't be able to make the playoffs. It's just excuses like that that didn't allow them to be accountable and didn't allow them to get better because they had, they had the built-in excuse. Oh, well, when Lane Johnson gets back, we'll be better. And then Lane Johnson came back for, like, two meaningless games, and they were like, oh, yeah, see, that's what it was. Lane Johnson's back. Now we're good again. They, they, they beat those Cowboys. with Was it Mark Sanchez starting? Yeah, Mark Sanchez. Mm-hmm. With, with the Sanchez. Yeah, it's just it's just funny, man. Like, I just don't, you know. But we'll we'll we don't want to beat up too much on on uh, Lane Johnson. No, I do. <laughs> I want to beat up on him. It's okay. It's, <laughs> I'll leave that to you. I'll, I'll let Eagles Twitter get in your mentions, man. But uh, quickly going around the room, starting with you, Teron. What do you have the Eagles finishing this season? Yeah, I have them finishing third. I think they're going to be somewhere between ten and six and nine and seven. Uh, I, but they're going to finish third which means no playoffs for them this, this year. Yeah. Um, I, I have them finishing uh, last in the, in the division there. Um, I, I don't really see them uh, making the strides necessary to kind of uh, overcome the, the rest of the teams in the division there. I'm finishing third, uh, good eight and eight type squad. Like I said, I think that this Eagles team is trending up because of all the youth they have. And again, I don't think people understand what they have on their defensive line. Mm-hmm. Just go Google their starting defensive line and understand that they might actually get carried to the playoffs if they get on a roll. But uh, eight and eight is a is a good enough record for a team that on the trend up from a youth perspective. 
Um, I'm I'm with CJ. I I think they finished third with the arrow pointing up, not necessarily because they're their quarterback or their right tackle. Um, but I think that they've got some good stuff going on there, and I look forward to seeing that progress. That those boys on that defensive line are scary. Then yeah. people aren't talking about it a lot. That defensive line is going to be scary good. Yeah, and, and you know, just to throw this in here before I close it out. They're they're strong on both sides of the line of scrimmage, um, and I think that's enough to where every game will be close. You won't blow out the Eagles um, if they decide to really run the ball. They can really make some noise. Um, they can be even better uh, on defense if if Patrick Robinson never sees the field. So if <laughs> you know if that if that happens, for, hey, for, hey 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 <laughs> hey you know you're already hey, down seven hey, nothing Patrick. With, with Patrick Robinson out there calling yards. You're already down seven nothing. So, uh, so that's it for this episode of the Football Cipher. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five star rating for Chris, Gene, Brandon, and Teron. I'm Emery Hunt, the Czar of the Playbook, and this has been the Football Cipher on the Football Game Plan Podcast Network. 